In today's episode, we talk about less is more, how you can take away information to get more done. By the end of the episode, you'll be thinking about where you can trim back the information you share to help others take action. Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. So Sarah, there's this idea that keeps coming up regularly on psychology podcasts and blogs, and I really want to talk with you about it. Oh, I'm intrigued. So there's this idea, it feels so relevant to our work. It's this idea of subtractive solutions, which is Uh super wonky. So it's solutions that involve reducing information over solutions that offer more information. So the example that's used so often in these podcasts is, you know, when we were little kids, we learned how to ride bikes with training wheels. And now little kids learn how to ride bikes with those really sleek scooters. There's no more training wheels. They're just scooter kind of things. And kids learn how to ride bikes faster. And there's actually way less to the bike. Like they've stripped it down to nothing. Right. Right. Have you seen those? The I have. It's amazing. And yeah, they do work wonders. <laughs> yeah, they really do. And so we'll post the research-based resources in the show notes and all that. But the bottom line is that less is more, that people are more likely to take action on something if you give them less or less information, or they may be more likely. It's not always the solution. But but I want to talk to you about this idea of less is more. Well, it's so interesting, Nancy, because on the one hand, it feels very counterintuitive to me when we're living in this era of big data, right? I mean, on some level, I can go to a conference and be told I should know everything about every person who's ever accessed our organization and, you know, be able to filter things. And the more data I analyze, the more efficient we'll be and the more we'll do. So we'll have to talk a little bit about that in the process. And yet at the same time, it completely resonates for me. You know, we were recently doing a, a, a small remodeling project and it was like, I don't need to see 28 doorknobs, like show me two and I'll tell you which one I like. <laughs> right? So there, there's something I want, I'm gravitated toward. And then I, I want to talk more about how do we, how do we get to less is more in this era when we're supposed to be analyzing everything? Absolutely. I love that notion of reducing choices and being able to take more action that too much stuff or too much information or too much whatever can be the barrier. I mean, how many times have you been on a webinar and somebody says, oh, I'll email you these 27 links because totally, you know, you liked my webinar. So here's 27 more things, right? Yep. Yep. (laughs) All about curation. Exactly. Well, so like, let's focus on communication first. Like we want people to take action on things. We want funders to give us money or community members to participate in our programs or maybe policy members, policymakers to vote for things that help us. What are some examples of less is more? You you work in the fundraising world. What's an example of less is more? So again, and I, I think there's this interesting tension, right, between being honest and and transparent and clear and boiling something down to something simple. So it's really hard to do, actually. But when you get there, it's like, oh, this is so perfect. So for example, about 10, 10 or 12 years ago, I was involved in a capital campaign that was you know, designed to, to try to protect a, a lot of wildlife habitat around an area that was growing quickly. 
And we were trying, we had all sorts of different data points. I mean, we must have collected 45 different data points and we could show them in pie charts or we could show them in bar graphs or you could show a picture with hologrammed images or, you know, all these things. And we were trying to be like, well, if you put them all in bullet points, it was too much. Nancy glossed over by the third data point. And what we settled on was that in this particular area, there was a four-way stop sign that anyone who'd ever been there knew about. And they knew that when it was a holiday weekend, you could have to wait in line for that four-way stop sign for like an hour. And the growth projection was basically that this area could grow to four, four times its current size. So the simple data point that sort of encapsulated everything was imagine that four-way stop with four times as many cars on the 4th of July. We didn't have to tell anybody anything else, right? Everyone was like, oh my gosh, if that level of growth happened, it would not be the same place. Now, of course, there are layers to that data and there were ways for us to show more about that. But as a communication tool, it was so powerful for people to to see it kind of boil down into one story and image they could see in their head. So they or you did to the data what whoever invented that scooter bike did to the training wheel bike, right? Yeah. Really reduced it down to its core thing and it became so much more easy. I, I love that. My example is really around community outreach. And I was working on a project that involves SNAP outreach. So these are folks who are experiencing, you know, low income, experiencing hunger, And how do we make sure that they had access to SNAP? So the idea was to get involved anyone who works with people who might need SNAP. So librarians or food bank folks or housing advocates or people working in veteran affairs, any of those folks. And how do we educate them about SNAP so that the people that they're connecting with get educated about SNAP? And so the first inclination, of course, was to send them pamphlets and booklets and all these, all this material, one hour webinars and, you know, all this stuff that they could really learn about SNAP. And of course, the bottom line, you, I mean, we know these are busy people. They have other jobs to do outside of talking about SNAP. So really the task there was how do we bring it all down into really the only thing that they need to know? Like, what's the least that they need to know? In order to get somebody who may be SNAP eligible to fill out the application, right? Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. It's really, really, and it's hard, right? This is hard to do. It's sort of like, you know, when the English teacher told you you had a one-page paper due and you thought, oh, this is going to be great. Um, And then you sat down to write it and you realized, well, you had five pages worth of words. (laughs) How do you cut back to that one distilled moment? Usually in my experience, it takes a lot of conversation. It takes a lot of time with a librarian or another advocate talk through, okay, at the end of the day, what would, what's sticky for me? What would stick for me? You know, there's another really interesting idea that happens when you tell people everything. This was explained in a hidden brain episode. And ever since I listened to the episode, I've been thinking about it. I've been seeing it everywhere. It's one of those things, you know, where once you see it once, you're like, oh my God, it's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And that is that the brain averages the information that that you're given if you're given a list of things and it neutralizes your most powerful points. Yep. So the example in hidden brain is, you know, if I tell you that this drug causes heart attack, stroke or itchy feet, you know, the, as soon as I throw in itchy feet, you're less concerned about the heart attack and the stroke. Right, right, right. <laughs> I should have just stopped at heart attack and stroke. Right. 
Yeah. So we do this all the time, though. If you think about like, I might want a policymaker to support funding for a school lunch program, and I might have a ton of reasons. And I'm just, and you should do it for, you know, the kids will do better in school, and there won't be so many behavior problems. And, and, and they'll be happier, their art will be prettier, they'll be good community members, like I could go on and on and on and on. But as soon as I go on and on and on and on, I have diminished the core argument that I have. They will do better in school. Yep. And sometimes, and and this is maybe interesting to ponder, sometimes it's okay to have the list and then to use different bullet points within the list with different audiences or different people. You know, I'm thinking about some instances where I know you know, my work or the work we do is complicated. It has many levels. Sometimes I talk more about what we do in one space than in another because of who I'm speaking with and how our values are going to match, right? So it's also, it's not that you have to throw out your list of 18 reasons why what you do is good, but you should know which ones resonate most universally. And then you should have the others of like, okay, and I bring out this one, you know, maybe I'm talking to a person who's really worried about financial matters and I can tell them it saves money right? That's going to be most compelling for them. So it's good to keep your portfolio of reasons and then just pull out the right ones at the right moment. Yeah. And, and get really disciplined about it. You say it saves money. Yep. Don't say anything more. (laughs) If you're asked, then you keep going, you know? So the other place where we see this often is in financials, right? (laughs) So we've talked about examples of like outside the organization, you know, engaging your community, your donors, et cetera. We also see it in the boardroom. So a board is tasked with making decisions based on numbers, and those numbers are found in financial statements. And I know this has never occurred to you, but I have seen it. (laughs) And that is where in a board meeting, board members will say, hey, executive director, could you please add a couple more columns because I need a little bit more information, or maybe I need a different financial statement, or maybe I need a different profit and loss. And then all of a sudden that that financial statement gets longer and longer and longer or wider and wider and wider. Have have you ever seen that happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And and along with it is this accompanying eye glaze that happens for nine tenths of the people in the room. Right. And then there's always the executive director who just sits there and sees a little bit of like, oh, I'm so sick of spending all day on those financial statements. And so this is where I have both been in the room as a board member, I've been an executive director in the room for this, and I've trained a lot on finances. And so this comes up a lot. And every time it comes up, I want to say stop, less is more, right? That maybe the finance committee, maybe they need to have all that detail and all those columns, and you know, all that, you know, all that extra stuff. But as you say, the rest of the board is going to have those glazed over eyes if you give them all that. So so this is where we need to have that discipline and just say no. Just say no. Nancy Reagan said it. Just say no. Well, and I think what it is, again, it goes back to curation and it goes back to understanding how you want to use data to make decisions. So curation levels, I mean, just like you know, different security levels, (laughs) different people need access to different types of information. So, you know, Nancy and I are not suggesting that uh, your treasurer doesn't understand and get to see anything they want in your books. That's important for just internal controls and, and, you know, financial responsibility. But that's a person who's taken on that role willingly, hopefully, and has the expertise and experience to, to go through it. 
And then what you want is your finance committee to see kind of the next level of data and help define what are the trends? What's the story here? What should we be telling the board they should worry about or not worry about and share then that very less is more level of data with the board so that they can make decisions. So in my mind, it's about curation and making sure that the right people have the right level of information while always being willing and open to show more if if anyone questions it, but don't start with the more. And I think it's a really, I love this notion of, you know, what are the different roles of these different people? And and when we talk about just general board members who, who aren't treasurer or anything yeah. like that, they actually can see the trends and they can see the gaps and all of those things so much easier yeah. if yeah. there isn't too much information, exactly. right? Exactly. That I saw, I attended one finance class where the instructor brought the finances down to just the bare minimum. It barely filled a half piece of paper. And right away, you saw the income and expenses and the (laughs) patterns far easier than if the page were filled with numbers. Exactly. No, it's so true, right? So what can you do to practice less is more? Because this is a discipline that that psychologically we're kind of predisposed to add. Like we just yeah. always, if it's not working, do more. If it's not working, do even more. And so yeah. how do we get discipline to do less is more? And I think the first thing is to think about the receiver of the information. And you've, you've said this and it's so true. What do they know already? What do they most care about? What actions do they need to take? And then work backward from there. So if we're talking about a a regular board member in financials, work backward on what they need to know versus the treasurer versus somebody else. Absolutely. And they will appreciate that. I think another idea is to practice explaining big ideas simply. And so we want to, we may need to practice explaining things, right? And we've explained in the past, we've talked in the past about the difference between what and how and really sorting that out in our minds. But the difference is really handy here. So how do we communicate just at a very high level in very simple language? And that involves some practice. And, you know, practice can be you practicing. It can also be you keeping your eye out for good examples. You know, one thing I did for many years when I was first starting as doing fundraising work is I held on to great samples. I was tempted early on to hold on to bad ones. And then I'm like, why would I hold on to bad ones? I don't want I don't want those around me. Right. (laughs) And so I'd hold on to really great examples. So, you know, from organizations not not like mine at all. So, so it wasn't about copying them. It was just about, wow, that letter was compelling to me because it was so simple. Or, you know, the way that person said that at that event, I'm going to write that down. It just was so easy for me as a receiver to gather. And I think sometimes when we practice being the receiver, a conscious receiver, we really get some insights into how to how to be a better talker about it. I think that's a really interesting idea, this idea of really actually actively looking for for examples of where someone has taken a complex idea and expressed it simply. And that would sharpen our skills, right? It would sharpen our eye for it. I think that's a great practice step. So my last idea is here is to put less into context if you need to. So again, going to transparency and roles and all of that, sometimes it really helps to verbalize it, to say, I'm going to really focus on this one thing, or I'm going to span out the lens and give the 10,000 foot view, but it doesn't mean that this other stuff doesn't exist. So if you want to know more, we can talk about it, but I'm, I'm going to really, you know, span back or hone in on one piece of data 
and verbalize it, articulate it so that they know the landscape in which the conversation is happening. Right. And I think this is really important. Actually, you'll need to do this for a while until you've built trust around your communications, right? People are way more skeptical if you give the 90,000 foot level answer um, and they're wondering, well, do you understand all the nuance and details below it? So again, kind of thinking about how your your different information levels, you know, how do you how do you present a, a basic, simple, compelling message, but then tell people how they can go dig in and learn more so that those who want that or who are still trying to figure out their trusted relationship with you know you know there's more to the story than that simple one-liner. I'm thinking less is more, less, and then they want more. Yes. Oh, I see. And that's pretty tricky. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Which brings us to the word of the week. Yeah. Which I think, of course, has to be less. And less obviously means a smaller amount. That's not rocket science. And so often it means fewer words or fewer ideas, explanations. But that doesn't speak to the quality or the meaningfulness. And those are two different things. You know, the quality is really how how good it is. And meaningfulness is that connection to the other person. So saying less invites greater level of intentionality around the words that we're choosing. So less is harder, but less is more. It is. It's so interesting when I think of the word less, I too think of taking things away or removing things. And, and often that kind of can, can um, seem like a a bad thing, like, oh, it means we had too much. But really, I think it's back to that idea of what what is it we do at our simplest form? And, and that's a really good thing to be clear about. You know, it may come as a huge relief to many of our listeners, this notion of less. Less doesn't necessarily, though, mean less work or effort, because the choices you make and what you say or show are really important. Once you bring this notion of less into your boardroom or your fundraising practice or community outreach, we imagine many thoughtful discussions among your team about how best to convey the information people need to take action. You got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show today. Tell your friends about the Nonprofit Radio Show and follow us on your favorite podcast app. Visit nonprofitradioshow.com for tips, tools, and free resources for nonprofits. The show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks in partnership with the Nonprofit Learning Center, delivering learning and innovation to help nonprofits thrive. Our production team is Steve Fonslet and Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. We always love to hear from our listeners. We're inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities. <music> <laughs>